Our reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 through 12. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him, will, <clears throat> for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. Well, as we continue our study of the book of Exodus this morning, we come to the fifth of the Ten Commandments, which actually represents kind of a shift in focus within the context of the Ten Commandments. And what I mean by that is this, the first four commandments are focused on our relationship with God. So there shall be no other gods before me. You shall not worship me by means of a graven image. Be very, very careful with my name and give me my day, just to kind of restate them a little bit differently. But today, beginning with the fifth commandment, all the rest of the commandments deal with our relationships with one another, which, you know, for all the things that we would probably disagree over in terms of the topic of relationship, I think we could probably at least all agree that relationships are difficult. Relationships are tricky. Relationships can be really hard. And yet here's what God, not Tom, commands us to do within the context of the relationship that we have with our kids and parents. He comes to us and he says this. He says, honor your father and mother, which right out of the gate, if you're a teenager, means that you know that at least a part of this message, just a part, I promise, is probably going to be a little bit more difficult for you than it is for me because I no longer live under the same roof as my parents, except for about three weeks a year, by the way, when we all vacation together up in North Carolina. And I just want to say for the record, in part because my mother is listening, that that is like the highlight of our year, sincerely. I love that. Like the vacation that we get to have as a family is by orders of magnitude better because we are all living under the same roof with my parents. But I also want to say that it wasn't always that way. You know, I mean, it wasn't always amazing living under the roof of my parents and it wasn't always amazing for me and I guarantee that it was not always amazing for them. And the reason for that's pretty simple because there were days and there were weeks and there were months and I'm just going to say it, there were years when I was absolutely convinced that my parents just didn't get it. And as I stand here today, 52 years old, I'm still absolutely convinced you know, that on two or three things, as opposed to two or three thousand things, they still don't get it. But the number has reduced significantly, hasn't it? It's what happens in life. You get to about 35 and you start going, man, those people knew some things after all. <laughs> they did. But you may have noticed that the commandment doesn't say, you shall honor your father and mother 
unless they just don't get it. It just says, honor your father and mother. And here's the deal. That can be hard. And it can be hard as an adult, too. You know, maybe now you're an adult and, and you're thinking, yeah, I, I, now I'm an adult and I don't want to go on vacation with my parents. I do not want to be under the same roof with those people. I couldn't wait to get out from under the roof of those people, and I sure am not interested in heading back underneath it. And the reason for that perhaps was mostly actually their fault as opposed to maybe yours. So when you look back on your childhood, you don't have all these fond memories and it's not all warm fuzzies that you get. You remember hurt, you remember pain, you remember betrayal, you remember abuse. And so you come to a commandment like this and you're thinking, man, this, this is for somebody else, right? Like you're hitting your kid going, hey, take notes, you know. But it's not for me. And yet the commandment doesn't say honor your father and mother unless they mistreated you as a kid, in which case you're off the hook. Whoo, it's hard. Or maybe now you're an adult and the sort of the cycle of life has changed. And so whereas, you know, when you were a kid, your parents took care of you and, and they raised you and they looked after you and they governed over your life. They did. And now you're governing over theirs. They're aged, they're infirm. You're making all the decisions, you're doing all the management, and now you're thinking, you know, so what does this commandment mean for me? Because, Tom, you're pointing things out. So, like, it doesn't say, honor your father and mother until you take over the management of their life, in which case they then need to begin to honor you. Does it? God comes to us and he says, okay, so here's the deal. And he says this to all of us because all of us are somebody's child. Even if our parents are gone, we're still their son or daughter. And he says, honor your father and your mother. And the obvious question then is, well, how do I do that? And the answer to that, generally speaking, varies from circumstance to circumstance, doesn't it? And here's what I can't do. Like, I can't sit down with every single person in the room and go, okay, so tell me about your story. All right, let's, let's work on some ideas on how to honor your father and mother in that unique circumstance that you find yourself in. I can't do that. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to give you two big ideas, and then I'm going to show you the payoff for doing it at the end. So big idea number one is this, that honoring your parents means, first of all, obeying your parents. And all the parents right now are excited, and all the kids not so much. But clearly, that's the way the Apostle Paul interprets this, guys. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then he directly quotes this commandment, honor your father and mother. So this is the part of the message that's more difficult for you if you're still living under the roof of your parents. And I know what you want to say. You want to say, yeah, but Tom, you don't know my parents. I mean, these people are so unreasonable. All right. But the commandment doesn't say honor your father and mother unless they're being unreasonable. According to your estimation, which might change when you're 35, or even if they're actually being unreasonable. It just says, honor your father and mother. And practically speaking, I think the only question that we need to ask as children who are to submit to our parents when they command us to do something is whether or not in obeying them, it's going to cause me to sin because there is a higher authority than our parents and his name is God. And so if it's going to cause me to sin against God, then I ought not to do whatever it is that they want me to do. But unless that's the case, I'm going to sin against God if I don't do whatever it is that they want me to do. And Jesus is a phenomenal example of this. As you read through the life of Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, there's this amazing story about Jesus as a middle school boy. He's 12 years old. I want you to imagine that. A 12-year-old Jesus. 
And Jesus, with his family and aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and everyone in his village, traveled up to the city of Jerusalem, literally, because it's up, elevated, and they went like all the other good Jews in the nation to celebrate the Passover together. And it was a great big camping trip for these guys. Guys, I mean, that's the way that it worked in those days. They didn't have hotels and convention centers and the ability to handle all of these people who would come. They would just camp out. One of the tour guides that we had in Israel said that the campsite for the people from Nazareth, they believe, uh, was the Mount of Olives, which is kind of amazing, actually. It's right there next to the Temple Mount. It's actually right where the Garden of Gethsemane is. So the, the campsite of Jesus growing up became the place that he prays the night that he's betrayed, taken, arrested. It's remarkable. Uh, but in any event, they all go on this great big camping trip. They celebrate the Passover together. His parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, village, everybody, friends, they all leave the city of Jerusalem. And about a day after they left, on their way still back to Nazareth, Mary and Joseph realize that Jesus, who I'm sure they thought was with his grandparents or with his cousins or with his friends or with these neighbors down the street, actually is not with any of them. They have left him behind. Which, if you've ever lost your kid in Target, like that's bad enough, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to freak out over this, but they don't have phones, they don't have Find My Friends, and they've not just lost their son, they've lost God's son. Think about that. Like God's up there going, I give these people one job. <laughs> Keep your eye on my son. He's back in Jerusalem. So they freak out, understandably, and they go back a whole day just to get to Jerusalem and spend three days combing the streets of the city, crying out, Jesus, you know, trying to find Jesus until they come into the temple. And there he is. And he's sitting there with the teachers of the law and they're talking about, you know, the Bible and asking questions and all kinds of stuff. And then we read in verse 48 that when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And then Jesus asks them a brilliant question. And in perfect innocence, he says, Why were you looking for me? Like, why did you spend three days combing the streets of this city? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, that kind of gets to the point, doesn't it? He's saying, listen, guys, there are like, you know, four, maybe five people on the planet, not including me, Jesus, who know who I actually am. And like you two are two of them. So mom, here's the deal little rewind of the tape for you. An angel from heaven appeared to you. He told you that you were going to conceive the invisible God of the universe who through the utility of your womb and body was going to take upon himself a human body to enter into this world on a rescue mission. The Holy Spirit came upon you and supernaturally conceived God in the flesh who again is me. I know I'm only 12, but stay with me on this, okay? Me in you, you gave birth to me, uniquely understanding this. And Joseph, my stepfather, you had this unique understanding too. An angel appeared to you in a vision, explained the whole deal to you. I mean, good grief, guys. If you're going to look for God in the city of Jerusalem, wouldn't you knock on his door? Wouldn't you go to his house? How did you not know that I would be in my father's house because I am the son of the father who is God? And yet, even though that does seem like pretty simple math, when you think about it like that, 
we read that Mary and Joseph did not understand the saying that Jesus spoke to them. In other words, they just did not get it. Not this time and not any other time in all likelihood that they had some kind of a disagreement with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine Every time that Jesus disagreed with his parents about something, unlike me, unlike you, Jesus was actually right. Every time he was right, every time. Think about that. So that takes what Luke says next, and he makes it all the more poignant because it says, and Jesus went down with them from Jerusalem, and he came to Nazareth, and then here it is, and he was submissive to them. Why? Because the law of God here doesn't say honor your father and your mother unless you're right. It just says honor your father and mother. Which means, first of all, obeying your parents. But then secondly, and this is the part of the message that applies more broadly to us, it means carefully considering the advice and direction of your parents. And parenthetically, I just want to ask this question. Why would you not do that? I mean, I understand that some of us here today have parents whose advice and direction it probably would not be wise to get. But generally speaking, why would you not listen to the advice and the direction of the people who, humanly speaking, at least arguably, love you more than anybody else? Who, humanly speaking, at least arguably, know you better than anyone else because they have been studying you from the moment of your birth until this very day. At least arguably speaking, want your best interests more so than anyone else, and who have this wealth of wisdom, guys, that they've been storing up through successes and failures and so on and so forth, that they're dying to give to you for free to help you handle all the big issues of life, to help you decide and to make all the right big decisions. Guys, honoring your parents means carefully considering the advice and direction of your parents not ignoring it, not spurning it, not throwing it aside as though it's valueless, but soliciting it, cultivating it, which from the perspective of the parents, if I can step out of the kids' shoes for a second and put on the parents' shoes, makes the relationship that you and I have with our kids all the more valuable because the day really is coming. And this is hard to imagine if you've just got little bitties, but just trust me on this one. I've been through it. The day really is coming when you're no longer going to be able to parent your kids from the perspective of position, meaning I'm dad or I'm mom, and so this is what you're going to do next. At some point, that doesn't work. The same is true for physical power, meaning you're sitting on the couch, and I've told you to clean your room four times. So here's the deal. Uh, I'm bigger than you, and I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to take you into your room now, and then you're going to clean your room. But you don't have to. If you decide not to clean your room, then I'm going to clean your room, because the room is going to get cleaned, but you're going to pay me to do your work, including the delivery charge and I'm expensive. But physically, I can do that. I can't do that anymore. The day is coming when even the power of the purse is not going to work for you. When you can't say to your son or daughter, listen, if you choose to live this way, you know, I can't prevent you from doing that, but it looks like you need a new car because that one's mine. Oh, and insurance and gas and maintenance you had better get ready to pay your tuition bill because mom and I are going on a cruise. We just got a raise. Like, because it's now on you. Utilities, rent. It's all done. Hard for you to imagine this, but at some point, like they graduate out of the house and out of school and then they get a job. Oh, baby. Right? And then they start paying their own bills. I mean, seriously, it almost makes you dizzy. It's, it's amazing. 
and and then and then like and then you can go on a cruise because you actually do get a raise like it's amazing it happens but here's the deal you still have so much to give to your kids don't you it never ends parenting and i say that in a good way it doesn't end so what's your leverage your leverage is relationship if you have the relationship you have the leverage if you don't then you won't and that's i think why the apostle paul right after saying obey your parents and the lord for this is right honor your father and mother he goes into two verses later in verse four and he begins to talk about relationships and he says fathers and i think you can just rightly insert the word parents here because moms can do this just as well as dads parents do not provoke your children to anger which doesn't mean don't ever do anything that's going to make your kids angry that's impossible you know, decisions that you make, parameters that you establish, discipline that you meet out will frustrate your kids at times. It will at times make them angry, but hopefully, if not in that moment, if they were really honest, then at least later on down the road, they'll be able to look back at what you've done and how you've handled them and how you've behaved, and they'll realize that there was a wisdom to it, that there was a justice to it, that you actually were a lot more reasonable than they gave you credit for. And at the very least, even if there's none of those things present, they'll be able to say, you know what? They were trying hard and they were doing it for my good. It was well-intended. It's when they can't look back and see those good intentions that you've provoked them to anger. I think we provoke our kids to anger by being overly strict. Follow the word overly. You're going to hear it. Or overly harsh. Or overly protective. Or even overly lenient where you just let them do whatever they want to do. And in so doing, you prove to them that you don't care enough to do the heavy lifting of correcting them. Because that's hard. Overly is a big word. What are we talking about? It's excess and deficiency. It's too much or it's too little. But boy, hitting it right down the center lane is not an easy thing to do. I think we provoke our kids to anger by showing favoritism toward another child or by neglecting our children in favor of other things or obvious ones, verbally, physically, sexually abusing our kids or by being a hypocrite, that is to say, by not living out the ethic that we profess to believe and that we require of them. And so honoring your parents means, first of all, obeying them. Secondly, it means carefully considering the advice and direction of your parents. But then here's the payoff. The payoff is that honoring your parents brings blessing, and the Bible's clear about that. Listen again. Fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and then he attaches a promise to that statement when he says that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, or as the Apostle Paul puts it, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, Paul says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Why? Because your parents will give to you for free a wisdom that will literally, at times, save you from harm. Son, you can't play in the street. But I want to play in the street. Yeah, you know what? You're four. Let's go. We're done. Conversation's over. He who walks with the wise will grow wise, but the companion of fools will suffer loss. That's a lifelong one. That is more dangerous than playing in the street. Get the idea? These people have lived life. They know you. They don't know everything for sure. But man, you can learn things two ways, by experience or someone else's. And someone else's is the cheaper route. 
and it's the far more efficient. So four years ago, my parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and a couple of months before the anniversary arrived, Beth and I and the kids and my brothers and their families all went to my parents' house while my parents were out of town. So my mother did not know this. Uh, It would have mortified her, I'm sure. She's watching. So here's the deal. Uh, We went through all of the photo albums in the house. We scanned all of these different pictures and kind of chronicled 50 years, if you will, of, of their life together in, in pictures. And, and Beth took this on as a project and, and put together like this beautiful book for them. And then we all wrote letters and we put the letters in the book and then we gave them the book. And what I want to do is I want to read to you the letter that I wrote to my parents as a very imperfect son. Okay? You need to know that. Days, weeks, Years where I'm pretty sure, no, absolutely convinced that they didn't get it. But I've been humbled pretty significantly since then. I've realized that they actually did get it. And I want to read it to you, knowing that I did not do well with this commandment all the time. But I think on the balance of 52 years at this point, I'm coming out on the good side of the ledger in terms of honoring mom and dad, hoping to take a major step forward this morning. And... Um, <laughs> All right? And I read it to you because it's full of blessing for me. So here goes. Dear Dad and Mom, well, first of all, let me say congratulations to you both as you celebrate your 50th wedding anniversary, I suppose, as you've now surmised. We all went over to your house while you were out of town and without leaving any trace whatsoever, looked through over 50 years of photographs. And even though I didn't plan it this way, I think that was really a great thing to do before writing this letter. I also think that it was nice to look at all of those pictures in that house, for that house, contains many memories for me. What struck me as I looked through your pictures is just how young you both were when you got married and then, surprise, had your first child, and not such an easy one at that. It's kind of odd as someone who's about to turn 49 and who has a daughter who will also soon turn 20 to imagine the two of you at, at ages 18 and 20, which is how old they were when they got married. You've always seemed like adults to me, but you were both really just kids and one from a broken home. Frankly, that only makes my admiration for both of you, which was already pretty enormous, grow all the larger. So more than anything, in commemoration of this milestone in your lives, I'd like to say thanks for, I think, Thanks mostly covers it. I'd like to say thanks for loving me both when I was easy to love and then also and most especially when I was not. I'm not sure that I ever really thanked you for that, but please don't mistake that omission on my part for a lack of genuine gratitude. I've never once doubted that I'm loved by either of you. Now, I have felt unworthy of that love, but I've always known that it was there nonetheless, which actually makes it all the more precious. What a great gift to give to someone. So thanks for giving me that gift. Thanks also for loving each other. That too is a wonderful gift, and not just to each other, but also to your kids. I always felt safe with you in part because I knew your relationship was stable. You guys were committed And that was clear, and that safety then created real freedoms in my heart, and it provided me with the ability to believe that marriage can be done and that marriage can be fun. As you well know, I married a girl from a broken home who, at least prior to our marriage, was not so sure that it could be done or that it could be fun. And I don't know if you know this or not, but a large part of my strategy for helping her to see that it could work 
was simply getting her around the two of you. So thanks for that. Thanks also for working hard and being responsible and teaching me by means of your examples that working hard and being responsible are important. And please notice that I'm saying this to both of you. You both worked very hard and you both were very responsible. One of the mistakes that I think many parents make today is the mistake of creating a world for their children in which they come to believe that everything revolves around them. That's simply not true and it's also not good. My goodness, who wants to employ someone who thinks that or who wants to marry that person? And then I need to explain something because in the next sentence I use this phrase, Tom the Great. Okay, so here's the deal on that. I was the first child and I was the only child for seven years until my first brother was born. And I was also the first grandchild for like a while. So like I was the center of everyone's attention and probably somewhere around the age of four, for reasons unknown to me, I started signing everything, Tom the Great. Okay? It just wouldn't have made sense unless you understood that. It was cute until I was like 20, and then it was like, that's just weird. Yeah. So I said, I certainly had plenty of attention and affection, and I clearly didn't have any self-image issues, parentheses, Tom the Great. But I also learned that life didn't revolve around me, though I know I had my moments. There were non-negotiables in your home. Two of those were hard work and responsibility. And for that, I thank you. Thank you for making God a priority in your home. I never questioned where you stood on things, which is also a safety issue. And that was true as well for Christ and the church. We went to church in a very expensive Christian school, and we then read the Bible and prayed at the table pretty much every night. And I am sure that you despaired at times, wondering whether or not any of that was actually getting in. But hopefully your patience has paid off in that regard. It did get in, and for that I'm very thankful. Thank you for also making family a priority, and I've got to explain this too. My dad got a license plate. I don't know how old I was, but it had his initials, which are NJH, and then it just had the number four, and he just, you know, put it on the car, and being an observant kid, about three years later, I asked him what it meant. And uh, I mean, we're standing in the driveway. I'm like, the NJH I get, what's the four? And he goes, oh, well, that's easy. God, family, others, me. And I thought, all right. He said, yeah. So like every time I walk to my car, I, I see my priorities, God, family, others, me. I thought, that sounds like a good idea. So I said, thank you for making family a priority. Family came after God and before others. I still remember the NJH4 license plate and what it means, God, family, others, me. And thanks for leading our family. I never wondered who was in charge. I may have selfishly and foolishly questioned some of the decisions, but you guys were the boss, and I'm thankful for that. Please don't miss this. Kids need a boss, and I needed a boss. You were both good at that. You made your expectations clear, you defended them, and you adhered to them yourself, which brings me to my next and final point. Thanks for being people of integrity. I've never doubted the truthfulness of your convictions or of any statement that you've ever made to me. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Okay, I hope that by now you're getting the point. You guys are really both quite amazing, and the two of you together are extraordinarily rare, which means that I've had the lifelong pleasure and benefit of having extraordinarily rare people as my parents, mentors, and guides. And to think that much of my life, I simply thought that that was everyone's experience. I know better now, and I'm very thankful 
Last paragraph. Life as viewed from the perspective of heaven as opposed to earth is quite different, I think. And I suspect that one of the most dramatic differences has to do with heroes. In other words, who are the real heroes? Are they really the people that we celebrate in the tabloids and the newspapers of this earth, or are they the people who typically go unnoticed by the tabloids and newspapers of this earth, and indeed, oftentimes share little of its value system? I think it's the latter. I think that the real heroes, and they will eternally be proven so in the end, are the people who love Jesus and who by His Spirit seek to live each day in simple obedience to His Word. You have done that, and you continue to do that. And I'd like for you both to know that you are each heroes to me. I love you very much, your incredibly grateful son, signed, Tom the Great. That's it. All right, so here's the downside to reading a letter like that. Uh, The danger in it, in some sense, is that that's not a letter everybody can write. And so maybe you're sitting here going, hey man, good for you. But I, I, that was not my experience. So what do I do? I think you recognize that the offer of the gospel is to enter into a relationship with God who positions himself in your life as your loving heavenly father and to realize that he loved you so much that yes, through a supernatural conception, God has sent Christ into this world to lay down his life, to remove absolutely every barrier that you and I have ever erected, and there are lots of them that stand between us and our ability to have a relationship with this Father. He has paid the price of relationship with you, and he offers himself to you as a perfect heavenly Father freely if you will only come to him through faith in Christ. Or maybe the other side of it is, you know, you hear that and you think about yourself as a parent. Being a parent is just hard. Uh, and it's hard, you know, in part because of just the parenting aspect of it but, it, but it's hard in part because you realize the weight of the responsibility. It's just, it can be crushing at times, honestly. You know, you, you recognize that this is just so important. And it's beyond me or you, by the way, just throwing that out there. God has not left us alone to do this. He's given us his spirit. He's given us each other. He's given us his word. But in any event, you think about your failures very quickly when you hear a letter like that. So then what do you do with your failures? Well, you do the same thing. You bring your failures to that Jesus who suffered and died infinitely that they might be covered over by his own blood. You receive that forgiveness. And then you think about wise ways to maybe repent to your kids. You know, the gospel requires you to humble yourself, and pride is the biggest stumbling block that any of us have in this life. The gospel requires you to admit that you don't have it, and in fact that you've done all of this stuff, and that you can't do it on your own, and that you've actually blown it. It causes you to deal with the psychologically traumatic reality that you are imperfect and that your imperfections have big consequences in your life and in the lives of other people. And then it rushes to your relief with the forgiveness that you can find only in Jesus, with the aid of his spirit and community. If you can manifest that kind of humility to your kids and find a wise way of repenting before them, that would probably be a helpful thing too.
But otherwise, here's the commandment to all of us. Even if our parents are dead and buried at this point, we can honor them by the way that we speak. We can honor them by living out their values and the lessons they've taught. The commandment is honor your father and mother. And I'm here to tell you that if you will obey it, the promise is true. The result is blessing. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that by faith in the Christ, in the one who is God made man, and the one who entered into this world to rescue us, to remove all of these obstacles, indeed, all the obstacles, all the failures, all the selfishness, all the stuff is paid for and done. That simply by coming to this Jesus and confessing our need for forgiveness, we find not only forgiveness, but we find a Father who loves us desperately, who passionately pursues us, who gifts to us His Spirit, who gives to us His Word, who empowers and leads us in paths that are truly those of life and joy and wisdom and abundance and that end in eternal life. God, grant us that kind of faith. And then, Lord, grant us the ability to honor our earthly fathers and mothers, broken as they are. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.